Greetings, everyone. Happy holidays, and welcome to the You Should Run podcast. I am your host, Tony Heil, council vice president, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know I've talked to people from every state, from Maine to Hawaii, Alaska to Florida, all points in between. Uh, And I'd love to talk to more people from Hawaii again. That's been a while. It's hard to get people from that far away. But I'm going to someone a little bit closer to home, not necessarily Pennsylvania, but um, someone from New York State. I went to college in New York State. And we'll have the 2024 elections coming up, which means that, you know, election talk, not just about Democrat versus Republican, Trump versus Biden or Biden versus someone else or whatever, uh, but about how we maintain elections and election integrity, making sure people can vote, making sure elections are fair. Uh, And I'm going to be talking to my new friend from New York State. Dustin Zarni. He is the Onondaga County Elections Commissioner. Uh, He he works on elections throughout New York. He is going to be able to pronounce things better than I can and explain things better than I can. I think we'll have a lot to say about redistricting, what's fair, what's unfair, um, and hopefully combating some misinformation about elections in general. So, Dustin, thanks for talking today. Oh, thanks for having me on, Tony. Um, It's a pleasure. So, first of all, I mean, we talked about this off air, but um, where are you again? Because I, I think most people don't think about Onondaga County that much. That's right. Uh, you'll better know it as the county that hosts Syracuse, New York. Uh, we are, uh, Onondaga County is central New York. It's at the most center of all of New York State. Uh, it's, uh, and, you know, has the city of Syracuse in it. So, if you're used to Syracuse University sports on your television, that's where you'll know us from. Uh, I'm one of the elections commissioners. In New York State, we have what's called a bipartisan elections commission association, you know, uh, uh, structure. We have one Republican and one Democrat. I happen to be the Democrat uh, in Onondaga County, uh, New York, but I also chair the entire Democratic caucus of elections commissioners throughout New York State. And uh, that's pretty much how we run elections in New York is it's bipartisan from the commissioners right on down to the election inspectors at your polling places and all throughout the staffing of all of our boards of elections have to be equal representations from the board. And it, it seems like in general, that's the practice around the country, right? If you go to an election board, there's a Democrat or Republican. There might be two of one party and one of another based on the majority, but um, there has to be rep- fair fair representation in some way. Uh and so when have you when did you become interested in that in particular? Because a lot of people care about elections and they care about some few big thing like foreign policy, war or healthcare, education, which are all great, but not enough people care about, you know, actual work of elections. So elections was kind of a, a trade for me in, in, in many ways. I uh, had a kid in high school. I was seventeen year old years old and I had uh, my daughter and obviously was not planned. And um, I ended up raising her by myself hmm. uh, from the time she was nine years old on, which meant that, uh, you know, I was the sole breadwinner, so I had to, and the sole parent, so I was going to school. I, I was not going to school. I was going, you know, to work every bad job imaginable just to be able to put uh, bread on the plate. And so politics kind of became like a you know, like a, like an apprenticeship type of uh, work for me. I worked on a lot of different campaigns, a lot of losing campaigns, uh, but those losing campaigns allowed me to move up in the structure and learn more things. And I ended up gravitating towards uh, GOTV, getting out the vote, which led me to deal with the Board of Elections quite a bit. And then 
you know, about 15 years of volunteering in there. I got lucky. I got I got out a winning campaign finally. Mayor Driscoll won in the city of Syracuse, flipped the seat back from a Republican to a Democrat. I was able to get a job in City Hall, but I still continued my volunteer work at, with the Democratic Party. And I ended up being the guy that was dealing with the Board of Elections most often, whether it was petition work or absentee ballot challenges or canvassing, any of that type of work, I, uh, you know, I became the point person for the the party. And then uh, when the elections commissioner decided to retire in 2012, I ran for the seat. Uh, it's not quite an elected position. It's uh, elected by the party, mm-hmm. uh, but the party makes up about 800 people. So it's not like a small election. It's not four people in the back of the room. Uh, I ran against the minority uh, leader of the county legislature in, in the party, and I was able to win uh, because people had seen that I had already put the work in and knew that I, you know, that I uh, was had a passion for election law. I wasn't just going to be there um, and uh, look for a pension. I was going to be there for a longer period of time. I was only 40. I was the youngest elections commissioner in Onondaga County history, and, uh, uh, and I've been there ever since. So a lot's changed since 2012, though. It's also kind of a pivotal, all elections are pivotal, but kind of pivotal in a way because that was kind of the first election where Donald Trump kind of threw his name into things in a big way. He endorsed Mitt Romney, uh, but after the election, he started, or even on election day, saying that the election was rigged, it wasn't fair, Mitt Romney shouldn't concede. Um, When you first started getting involved the rhetoric about elections was not the same as it is today, right? Like this is not the way it's always been. No, it's and it's sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I again, I've been involved long enough that I remember back to a day where if you lost your election, it was expected, and you would concede and be gracious and uh, and then work towards the better good of putting our democracy together after an election, and that seemed to have gone by the wayside. In the last few years, although there are some bright spots, there does seem to be a, you know, at least in the last couple of years, a turning against this election denialism. At least the candidates that were on the on the ballots were have uh, that have participated in this election denial myth have seemed to lose almost, uh, you know, everywhere there's a competitive election. So mm-hmm. that's good. The public seems to be uh, turning against it, but it is different, and it is. Something that, you know, lead election officials like myself have to look out for. And that's why we are, you know, we try to combat that in Onondaga County by being as transparent as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, have, we have cameras in every room. We have, uh, we invite the public in on everything that we do. We have bipartisan eyes on everything we do. We can prove everything that we do. And of course, we're very lucky in New York where we have the paper ballot. Uh, and uh, we could actually hand count the races if they're at, if they're close. And there's a new law in the last couple of years that mandated it. And my county has had two ninety thousand ballot hand counts in a row now. <laughs> you know, each of the last two years. So the the good news about that is that I can attest to the accuracy of the machine because after uh, you know spending these two ninety thousand ballot hand counts, there's not much change uh, from when. Uh, you know, from what the machine found, you know, hyper small changes. And those changes are usually things like people writing on the ballot that would throw out their ballot, but the machine would never made to pick up on stuff like that, but not that it counted the vote wrong 
to begin with. So it's uh it's been a weird time, uh, you know, in elections, but it's uh, also made us be a little bit better, I think, too. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're we're more cognizant of the need for transparency. We're more cognizant of the need for um, you know resources and advocating for ourselves as elections commissioners as well. And I think the public, for the most part, is with us on this. Yeah, so obviously you're in Syracuse where things are different than they are in other states, whether, you know, Pennsylvania obviously was a big issue um, where people were, you know, not trusting the ballot. And you had a lot of legislators who, in my mind, which was really worrisome to me, is the legislators knew it was fair and was not. And they were kind of afraid of their base to speak up against it, except for a few people. Notably, there's a state senator from um, other part of Pennsylvania, Gene Yaw, Republican, and he pretty quickly in 2020 said, no, these accusations are crazy. Donald Trump did not win Pennsylvania. This is, you should keep up against this. Um, so is it better there because of the people, like because of the politics in your area, or is it better because of the processes that you have? Um, it's not necessarily better here. Okay. Uh, Syracuse is a, uh, is, is a very, in Onondaga County, it's a purple county. Right. We, we are the battleground of New York State in many ways because we have a large history of electing Democrats to state, to countywide, you know, races, but inside the county itself, a lot of Republicans hold office in, in many of the towns, although the city of Syracuse is very blue, but we're kind of a pivotal county. We're one of the top five large counties, uh, well, actually a top seven large county. And outside of New York City, this is where you see a lot of uh, statewide races or uh, congressional races that are focusing on this area. In fact, we're, I think we're rated the number one pickup opportunity in the country for the DCCC with uh, Brandon Williams in New York 22. Uh, that is right in this area. And, uh, and, it, and we've had a, you know, we have a history of that congressional seat, seat going Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican. And then having 1% results on either side. So, um, you know, we do have that competitive nature here. We haven't had, definitely we're not like Arizona or some of the other states where this election denialism has gone crazy. Mm -hmm. But we have this thing called the New York Citizens Audit in uh, New York. They are the Trump wing, the Trump election denial wing of uh, the party. And they've actually gone door to door visiting uh, voters in our county, and we've had to report them to the to the attorney general and the district attorney because they were impersonating boards of elections officials, uh, trying to prove that people were not registered mm-hmm. or that false votes were cast, and they were they couldn't prove anything. All they did was end up harassing voters. So, while we haven't had some of the more ingrained election denialism, there is stuff still happening on the ground that's very scary for voters and for election officials. And I'm sure you talk to other people involved in election work, not just in New York, you're following it around the country, obviously you're talking about Arizona. Um, you know, are you seeing that kind of intimidation, maybe putting people away from, keeping people from wanting to do election work, from wanting to be election judges, commissioners, counting ballots, whatever it is, volunteers, because you've seen threats against election workers in, all, in a lot of states, including here in Pennsylvania, and it's really hard to get people to want to devote time to do it because it's not like a well-paying, attractive, you know, that's not why people get involved in stuff. Is that something that you that you see as a concern? 
Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that my position has afforded me is that I've been able to work with some national groups on this type of issue. Uh, I'm part of Issue One's Faces of Democracy, and uh, we meet quarterly. Uh, they're bipartisan election officials that are concerned about uh, you know election funding, but also what we call this great resignation that is happening with election officials throughout the country. There are a lot of people that are just, you know, let, let's face it, none of us got into be election officials because we're going to get, you know, rich doing this. We're civil servants. We're, mm-hmm. we're paid a government salary. And, you know, we, we're doing it for the good of, our, you know, to want to do good. But when this harassment has come out, we saw, you know, just this uh, last week, this huge verdict, uh, you know, against Rudy Giuliani with, uh, you know, uh, the, the two election workers in Georgia that were defamed nationwide. You, we see there is a lot of people that are resigning from the election world, right from the inspectors uh, down at the bottom, right up to the commissioners up at the top who are choosing to go to retire or move out. And we're losing years and years of institutional knowledge because of these threats, because mm-hmm. of this environment. And it is uh, some, you know, and, and throw on top of that under-resourced and overworked. And, you know, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. Do you think that settlements like what happened to Rudy Giuliani can be helpful to dissuade? Because those people who do those things, they're kind of egged on by the Giuliani's and Trump's of the world. So maybe if it quiets the people at the top, there'll be less energy and, and fuel on the fire. Or is the cat out of the bag, the Pandora's box open, it's kind of like hard to too hard to control? I hope so. But it's, it's weird. I, I don't know if it will. Um, you still see Rudy Giuliani defiant after the uh, the verdict just the other day and still continuing to perpetrate the lie because in many ways he knows that you know he's broke and not one penny of that is going to go to the those election workers. But they are heroes. They're saying they're going to continue on with not just his case but you know attacking others that do it. I think the Dominion settlement with Fox News uh, was a you know, it was a big thing. It has, it has changed the behavior of Fox News, uh, which mm-hmm. was also spreading some of this junk after the 2020 election. Um, you, we've seen other hucksters that were uh, thrown in, uh, you know, that, that were thrown into civil suits or, or, or criminal suits that were, you know, doing false robocalls to minority led areas of Detroit and, uh, and, uh, Another player, I forgot the name of the guy now, but uh, he was like, you know, uh, he made it, he made himself pretty famous doing that. Uh, and, you know, so these things, you know, there are prosecutions out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm afraid, though, that this won't be resolved until the prosecution of the, uh, the former president, Donald Trump, is resolved. Because that is, right, that is going to be the big thing, that the election denialism that led to the insurrection that led, you know, to the actions on January 6th, um, that is, you know, kind of the culmination of years and years and years of these false lies and false uh, pretenses adding up and riling up, uh, you know, a segment of the population that is, uh, unfortunately, they believe this stuff. And uh, I, I, I really don't believe that this will be resolved until or unless there is a conviction of, the person who probably started all of this. And I don't even know if that'll be enough, honestly. He's Because that'll just stir up a lot of more anger. 
no, there's no good, there's no easy answer to that. It's not like a movie where, well, he gets convicted and everything's fine. Um, but we talk about Rudy Giuliani. I went to college in New York. You're in New York. He yeah. almost ran for Senate in New York. He's obviously. Do you ever think about how, like, in 2002 and from then on, if he just went on corporate boards, kind of spoke at the Constitution Center and never did anything political again, he would be fine. I mean, he wasn't. He is way too revered for his work when you know about his actual history as mayor. He had a lot of ne- negative things about him in his personal and political life. But he could have just done nothing and lived off millions of dollars and royalties and book deals, right? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you know, he was America's mayor after 9-11. I was working on elections in, you know, on that day. I was uh, working mayor, right? with mayor Bill's primary day. I was part of the GOTV that happened on 9-11, and I got to tell you, you know, I'm a Democrat, but Rudy, like, was revered uh, amongst um, even Democrats uh, for his uh, passion and his uh, leadership uh, in in the post-9-11 structure, but it just, I don't know what happened. (laughs) You know, I I know that there's a personal friendship with him, um, you know, and, and Donald Trump, and I understand that. But man, it just seemed like there's nobody in Rudy Giuliani's family that's taking care of him, you know. And 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 and, and seeing a person who's in obvious trouble, in obvious decline, that keeping him from hurting himself—that's how I see this. Um, and it's sad to see because he. You're right. He could have retired in 2002, never done another thing, and been an American hero and talked about now his legacy is going to be what he's left behind in the 2020 election. And that's uh, and, and continues to, to uh, you know, be a part of. And that's, uh, that's sad. So there's a lot of skepticism when it comes to elections. And it's, this isn't new. Like, I remember 2000, obviously, you remember too. And I can only imagine how crazy it would have been if in 2020 – Donald Trump had lost one state by 400 or 500 votes, and it was Pennsylvania, right where Joe Biden's from, basically. Like, it just came down to a few precincts in Scranton, where Joe Biden grew up. Like, it would have been a civil war at that point if the same circumstances had happened. Um, So the situation's been like that. But if people think that everyone in politics cares more about their party than they do about what's right and wrong... There are certain people who think, well, if you're a Democrat and election commissioner or Republican, you're not there to make sure it's fair. You're there to make sure that your team wins. And so, like, let's say Chuck Schumer or Kathy Hochul or whatever said, hey, Dustin, we know you kind of know all the stuff about elections. Can you make sure that we we need to win four seats in Congress? Can you make sure we do that? And what would you do if that happened? If I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not. Like, no, it's not going to happen. But uh, if they did, I would report them to the authorities. And right. That's why that would happen. Look, um, what's so stupid about what happened in 2020 is there was no way for the Georgia election officials to go out and find those. What was it? You know, eleven thousand votes. I think eleven thousand votes or something like that. Um, there's what seems to have been lost at all of this is that even if they wanted to do what Donald Trump uh, said to do, they, there was no physical way to do that. You can't just go out and find ballots. There's there's people on both sides of the aisle watching everything in every office. It's not like you can just 
you know, change a, a number in a, in a counter in a computer and that they're, and then all of a sudden, you know, everybody's going to accept that. That's just not the way it, it, the, the elections world works, nor should it be. I mean, this is about who wins an election. Look, I've had to stand up to my party. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there have been my first year as elections commissioner, I had to throw out a whole slate of Democratic candidates in a town because they failed to fill out the proper paperwork. Uh, you know, it, it hurt me to do that. I told them, you know, when I was doing it, why I was doing it. Um, and I, you know, I, I told them to go to court if they felt like um, I was wrong. They did. I, I ended up winning. Uh, but, you know, it, it, we're here to uphold the law. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, and that's more important because, you know, I'm a, I'm a Democrat. I, I very much believe in the Democratic Party, the Democratic ideals. But what I believe in more is my own integrity. And that is not something that is going – I'm not going to go to jail for anybody. I'm not going to go besmirch my name for anybody. I've certified uh, Republican candidates who I hate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't believe in uh, them as leaders. But that's who the people voted for. And, and that, you know, that's more important for me. Well, that's important. That, that's good. And I, I hope that people realize that that's, that's generally the attitude that people in those positions have or have had for a long time. Um, well, we talked about some of the things that happened in the past, like the 2000 election, Rudy Giuliani, 2020, but also what's happening now and in the future, like you mentioned before, briefly, is redistricting in New York. There was the recent court set, court case overturning the map, congressional maps in New York. Um, what what do you think is the main issue when it comes to these maps? Like what's going to what's going to happen, in your opinion, or what should happen, in your opinion, as someone who's worked in elections? So, you know, I, I need to state right up at the top, the New York State redistricting process is a process designed to fail. Mm-hmm. It was put in by former Governor Cuomo, along with the Re- Republican Senate uh, leadership at the time and uh, the Democratic Assembly. And it's, it's a process that was designed to, you know, not have the redistricting commission come to a conclusion so the legislature could draw the maps. That being said, the people voted for this process. Mm-hmm. 2014, it was a constitutional amendment. And last year, um, the Republicans on the redistricting commission failed to submit a second set of draft maps. Um, and thus, then the le- legislature decided to, uh, you not to to write its own maps and then not only did they write their own maps they they gerrymandered and that's what the court said and uh it was pretty clear democratic gerrymander and we have an anti-gerrymandering law in new york that it ran afoul of so the the judge then two years ago decided to uh have a special master draw the maps but what the question was is whether those maps were only there for two years or were there for the remaining 10 years until we redistrict again. And the courts have now found that, no, it was only in there for two years. And now the redistricting commission has to set, submit another set of draft maps. And if that's not um, a uh, – if, if those maps – if we can't get bipartisan agreement there and then the legislature rejects those maps, they can draw their own sets of maps. But they won't be able to run afoul of this gerrymandering law. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that they won't be more democratic than the the maps that are already in place. Most likely, they will be, um, just by the nature that you have a veto-proof democratic majority in the legislature. Um, but that doesn't mean it will be a gerrymander. New York is a 
pretty democratic state. We vote for, uh, you know, president and governor, uh, overwhelmingly democratic. So to, to think that you're going to have an equal or even representative uh, pool of Republican co congressmen coming out of New York is not necessarily, uh, you know, reality. I think uh, we will see a different map, uh, but I don't know what that's going to look like. My guess is that instead of, you know, they won't be able to eliminate six of the eight Republican seats, but they'll probably be able to eliminate two or three or make them better uh, for Democrats. And uh, but then it'll still be up to the people to vote. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, we'll, you know, we'll have to see. I per personally would much rather see a different process. Um, and that's something that I led in Syracuse, where we put the first independent citizen uh redistricting commission east of the Mississippi into place for the city of Syracuse redistricting uh, a few years ago. And uh, that has worked out great. And I would love to see that for New York state, but uh, I don't see that happening. Uh, definitely won't happen this cycle. I don't see that happening anytime soon, unfortunately. So what does that mean for Syracuse? How does that different? Uh, and also for Syracuse, city politics are often very partisan, right? Like, I don't know if it's, if, is it like that in Syracuse where you're like, the the primary is more likely the 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 major election than the general. Yeah, so so aren't the, the incentives different than in a statewide? Well, the city of Syracuse is pretty blue, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's an urban city in the Northeast. It's going to be pretty blue. Um, so uh, the uh, the but the but it does have an independent mayor right now, mm -hmm. Mayor Ben Walsh ran as an independent uh, six years ago and won as an independent two years ago. Uh, and so even though city of Syracuse is pretty blue and it's had a Republican mayor back in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, you know, there are times where it does vote for a Republican. But the city of Syracuse has five common council districts that, um, you know, that hadn't been changed in like 30 years. And so they divide up the city of Syracuse. And so we decided that instead of having the common council draw its own maps, we, uh, and I mean, we as a, a group of citizens got together along with common cause and asked the city council to put in place an independent citizen led redistricting panel. And this is where 15 people were drawn at random uh, that, you know, you had to apply to be a commissioner but you were drawn at random. Well, eight of them were drawn at random, and then those eight from the pools selected six more to kind of round out, uh, or seven more to round out the, the the representation. So every side of the city was covered. Mm -hmm. It had one bipartisan representation, although the city of Syracuse is overwhelmingly Democrat. So, you know, there was a lot of Democrats on, on the panel. But it redrew these maps, um, and, it, you know, it was a 30-year period before these maps had a major redraw. And so now these new maps, uh, you know, have brought on new faces to the council. We have a, a, a lot more first-time candidates and first-time people coming on to the council because of these new maps, because they're not, uh, you know, put in place to serve the incumbent or the, uh, you know, the, the, the godfather of politics in that area or something mm -hmm. like that, that, that would have a, uh, People, these maps were put in place to to, to match neighborhoods and to match uh, common interests and and make it make sense too. You no longer had people, you know, 
uh, maps going over, uh, you know, major thoroughfares for one block worth of real estate on the other side just to be able to balance them out to make sure an incumbent got in there or something like that. That and it, it was a long process, but I think it, I, I think it's an example of once it was done, there was very little. Uh, you know, there was no litigation and uh, people accepted it and people have uh, have praised that process. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we can, between now and 2030, have a real conversation in New York about this. So what, what do you think is more important for a FAIR map, like describing what FAIR is? Is it that there's enough con- competitive districts or that it matches the partisan leaning of a state? Because like we have very few competitive districts in the entire country. Yeah, I actually think neither uh, one of them is the top, uh, okay. you know, criteria for me. My top criteria is common interest, mm-hmm. and and that is uh, you know the that a neighborhood is put together to select you know with other like-minded neighbors to and in a in a region that looks. Um, you know, you can kind of look at it and say, yeah, that obviously one person should be able to represent that region. Mm-hmm. This is all a region together. These are these all have common interests. And this is, uh, you know, they're going to uh, elect a leader of, you know, that will represent their common interests. The second criteria would be uh, racial makeup of the, uh, you know, uh, of, of these of these districts to provide, uh, you know, Minority opportunity districts, and mm-hmm. so you know, because you don't want to have districts drawn where there is no minority representation. That's mm-hmm. something that has been upheld by the Supreme Court, and something that is valuable to our society as a whole is to have some minority representation, and uh, you know, in in our elected leadership. Uh, and then we get into partisan leads and all of that. Although I try to stay out of the partisan leads. Uh, as much as possible when we're talking about redistricting because then it just, everything falls apart. You can't make deals anymore. Republicans are just trying to make sure they have their Republican seats. Democrats are just trying to get their Democrat seats. Uh, I I think usually the partisanship will take care of itself based on the enrollment of, uh, you know, the area as a whole that you're dividing up. And, uh, you know, if you're playing the long game, that's, that's what will happen. Like, you know, there should really be no, you know, there, if you can keep out of the partisan leanings, you know, and I happen to be part of the redistricting commission for the county. Uh, and unfortunately that is in court right now mm-hmm. because the partisan leads did come into play and the Republicans decided to, who uh, had a control of the committee, uh, decided to, uh, you know, put in a map uh, that was pretty, heavily partisan, and uh, we're in court right now trying to fight against that. And so when you have part of, when you think about partisan makeup, when that gets into redistricting, you're asking for a lawsuit. It is, if you uh, look at common interest and minority opportunity districts, I think that'll take care of most of it. But if you are to look at, like, North Carolina, the Republicans there have a majority. Uh, they're able to override the governor, uh, unfortunately. And so what they did is when they had, as soon as they had the opportunity, they redrew the maps so that they could switch and have three new Republicans in Congress. Boom. And we see what Republicans want to do in Congress, right? Like um, if they had had one more Republican senator in Congress in 2017, they may have repealed the Affordable Care Act. 
Uh, and that's just in the Senate. So that's not redistricting. It's just like they came very close. And the other kinds of things that you and I very much disagree on um, with Republicans on policy. Now, if one state is going to do something like that and advocate for a certain kind of, um, you know, to, to be very partisan and very biased, why shouldn't a blue state do the same to make sure, hey, California, New York, maybe here in Pennsylvania, like, hey, we, if we have the chance to redraw it, we need to counter that because it's not just about my team winning. The implications are very serious for people we care about. I, I totally understand that. Um, and that is a reasonable uh, viewpoint. Mm -hmm. But once you get into those type of games, once you start, tra you know, trading off, uh, you know, districts here from districts there, you do end up having non-competitive districts. And you have more non-competitive districts in this country than at any time in its history. Mm -hmm. And those non-competitive districts tend to elect to extremes mm -hmm. that will no longer work with the other party. And that's really the blight that we're seeing in Congress right now. We're seeing people that are just unable, you know, Speaker Johnson and Speaker uh, uh, McCarthy before him were unable to put together governing coalitions because they, they don't understand that they have to make deals with the other side. And if they do make deals with the other side, they are punished and thrown out of leadership of their own party. So it is, uh, I think that, you know, this type of uh, gerrymandering will give us short-term uh, progress and protections. But long-term, we need to start, that's why I was such a big supporter of HR1. Mm -hmm. Long-term, we need citizen-led redistricting and independent redistricting that will take all of this out of every state, everywheres, and then we can stop having these games played based on, you know, a lot of times legislators in the state that are drawn on partisan lines that they drew themselves. Right. So, you know, we are, you know, we are in a vicious circle right now of, with these partisan districts that are hyper non-competitive and playing to the base that are drawn by hyper non-competitive state legislatures and you know, of contrasting parties. And we will never get anywhere until we find a way to have a nationwide, uh, uh, you know, a, a nationwide solution to gerrymandering. And I, I believe HR1 had that. Mm -hmm. I, I, that was a good way to start. Uh, it won't solve everything. Nothing solves everything. People are people. You know, and, and we're going to have partisan differences no matter what. But if we start from a, a better, even playing ground than we had before, I believe that a lot of the issues that we have right now will get better. Yeah, I know here in Pennsylvania, Democrats won a majority in the state house by like one vote. And then Republicans were accusing them of doing things that Republicans had been doing for 20 years in the legislature. It's like, well, yeah. you can't, what, well, it, you're, what are you complaining about? You were just doing something like this or worse five minutes ago. Well, yeah, and I have county legislators in my county that drew hyper-partisan county legislature maps that are mad about the Democrats drawing, you know, congressional maps. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, it's, a, it's, you know, hypocrisy has no bounds. Uh, but, uh that's why I'm, I prefer to, you know, work for 
something that is more of an inclusive solution like citizen-led redistricting mm -hmm. than to keep working towards uh, you know, the short-term game of redistricting. I, 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 you know, what happened in New York is actually the perfect reason to continue to talk about citizen-led. And by the way, as Democrats, I do believe that if you have fair redistricting, our ideas are better and we're going to be able to have, uh, you know, we're going to be able to win, uh, you know, these races, uh, you know, on our own merits. You know, at least that's my belief. And maybe it's a little Pollyanna, maybe it's a little, you know, pie in the sky. But sometimes we need that in politics or we need people in politics that are willing to talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah, if you divide districts up more by partisanship than about than by um, common interest, then you have, like, I'm near King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, which is divided a little bit in the new districts. Though by the size of it, it's not crazy. The districts are more, because a few years ago, you may have seen, like, one of our districts was a national joke about how it looked. It looked like Daffy Duck kicking a football, I think it was. Um, so, um, but if you split the in half, it dilutes, not only does it dilute that community, but then, the people running, well, they're not going to spend a lot of time trying to devote their time to King of Prussia. They'll be spending right. their time on partisanship, Democrat or Republican. Right. And, uh, you know, and they won't be talking to swing voters. They won't be talking to non, uh, you know, you know, non-odd-year uh, voters or something like that. You know, they, they'll only be talking to the most partisan voters. To, it's a game of turnout as opposed to a game of persuasion. Mm -hmm. And I, I would love to see you know, more competitive districts that are, you know, have common interests because then they are going to have to do what they should do as elected representatives and actually talk to the voters throughout their life cycle of their, of their uh, uh, candidacy and not just, you know, during the campaign, but while they're representing them as well. And, and, and then we'd have more voter engagement, a, a government that is made up of people that is more reflective of our community as a whole and that want to be there for the right reasons as opposed to just accumulating power. And it sounds like if you're focusing district redistricting on common interest areas, then what you're competing for is not Democrat versus Republican or those kind of, or Nancy Pelosi versus um, Kevin McCarthy. You're competing over who is looking after these communities and, and what better ideas are better for that. Because, That's right. Uh, and do you think, one la final thing, you're talking about Syracuse and you're talking about these common interests, their common area, um, the death of newspapers, right? Like, is this what you see with elections and everything there? Like, we never, I'm on council, we never have a reporter come to our council meetings. Rarely ever. And if we do, we're worried because it means there's something big and possibly bad happening, right? Like, um, do you think that that, is something that, how is that contributing to these problems? Is, is, there, is there anything we could do about that? You Let's know, solve that in five the, minutes. <laughs> right, yeah, just keep that under five minutes. Uh, well, you know, the, the death of newspapers is, is problematic. And also the death of network news. Uh, you know, I mean, even, even uh, local news, you know, their viewership is down. The uh, Sinclair Broadcasting that's taken over so many different, uh, you know, local stations that they're, seeping in national politics into, into local news. You, you, the, the budgets are being cut. There's not as many reporters that can, you know, do deep dives into stories. You know, and, and, and so we're, you know, they're, they're depending on wire reports and, and other things a lot more than they're depending on, mm -hmm. you know, actual 
reporting on the ground. And, you know, in, in some ways, we as a people have kind of chosen that, right? I mean, we, we decided not to buy newspapers. We decided that it's better to get our news from TikTok or Facebook. Or, and I love social media. I'm on it every week. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, there is a, a problem out there, and I don't know how to solve it. You know, I, it's not, I, I don't know how to solve that because it is a problem with technology. It's a problem with uh how the modern society gets its information and prefers to get its information too. It's mm-hmm. not just about how they get it, but this is what they prefer as well. Mm-hmm. And you're never going to get people to go against their basic preferences. They want to be able to pull something up on their phone. They want to be able to, uh, you know, digest things in a 60 minutes or a 60 second clip, you know, and not everything is a 60 second problem. So, you know, it's part of our culture as well. And uh, so that means that there is no real good answer. We're just going to have to hope the word turns at some point. Uh, but uh, we, we need to find a way to adjust it as it does. Yeah, I know I have, there have been many times where I wanted to find a um, local news story, went to a local news site, and there was a paywall. And I was like, you know what? It's not that important. I'm not, I, it's not even a paper I read more than once every six months and it's not even my area. So I'm not going to pay for it. And as a result, I just gave up looking, I'll look for it somewhere else. And that's, that's on me, but also like, why am I going to read the Tulsa paper, right? In Oklahoma, I'm not going to spend money on the Tulsa newspaper. Maybe there's some national solution for that. I don't know. I'll talk to someone else about that. But in the meantime, Dustin, if someone is interested in learning about elections, learning about what you do. Is there a best way for them to follow you online or otherwise? Sure. Uh, I'm on every, as I said, I'm on every social media, Facebook, Twitter, threads. Uh, I won't call it X. I'm not going to call it X. I'm going to call it Twitter still. Yes. Uh, but I'm on it. Uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, threads, uh, Instagram. If you find, if you look for Dustin Zari, i got a pretty recognizable last name. So I've been able to get that moniker on just about every um, uh you know, platform. I also have a website, dustinzardy.com that you can go to D U S T I N C Z A R N Y.com. I tend to put on there a lot of content. I do a podcast myself. Uh, I do a weekly article about uh, election statistics here mm-hmm. in Onondaga County. So, and that's all part of my, uh, you know, my, my educational uh, you know, outreach that I try to, I've tried to do since 2020 to try to get people to understand how elections work and why they're seeing the results that they're receiving. Great. Well, I appreciate what you're doing. And I think that if people are listening. They see that there's a way to do things fairly, that things are fair, more so than people realize. Um, and there's a lot of people you can reach out to to see just how transparent elections are uh, on a national or local basis. Dustin, I really appreciate you talking, and I hope that if anyone's listening, maybe they'll consider doing like we did, and maybe they'll run for office too. I hope so, uh, because you know it is uh, we get the government we deserve, and we deserve you in the government. So you know, please, if you're interested in this, please consider running for office. It is still a noble thing. It is still something that should be looked up to, despite the the rhetoric that's out there, despite the cynicism. It is still something good to do, and uh, it is something that you will feel the most frustrated you've ever felt in your life, but you'll also feel the most rewarded when things go right. And, uh, you know, you, you, I, I hope that people will uh, get involved. 
Well, I that's a great lesson. Thank you so much, Dustin. Follow us online. I'll put some information on the social media and in the bio here so people can read and follow up more. And uh, in the meantime, happy holidays and have a great 2024. You too, Tony. Before signing off today, I want to send a special thank you to the OutRun Coalition for connecting me with Dustin and for connecting me with many other guests on this podcast. If you would like to be a guest or you have a recommendation, please email me at tonyheil at gmail.com. That's T-O-N-Y-H-E-Y-L at gmail.com. I'd love to share your stories and perspectives about why you should run for office.